0: Welcome to Media Matters, a special series by The Rebuildable Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and I'll be joined by those who work out front and behind the scenes in Chicago sports media. We'll learn about their backgrounds in the industry and get their thoughts on the ongoing changes in sports media and digital content. And now, let's meet our latest guest, Annie Costable, multimedia sports reporter from the Chicago Sun-Times. All right, so, joining us today, of course, is Annie. Annie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I'm honored that you even have reached out.
0: You know, this is an interesting topic, and it's something I'm passionate about. I've always been like a huge Huge media geek, and your role in in Chicago sports media is interesting because you are like the the old school definition of the backpack journalist right now. So there's a lot that I, I want to dissect. But first, I actually want to start with something. When I was doing, when I was doing, we were talking a little offline about this. I was doing some research prior to this discussion, and I saw that you were a production intern at ESPN 1000 in the summer of 2011. And I was a production assistant at ESPN 1000 in the summer of 2010. Yes, which I think were two big seasons for the Chicago Bulls. So, what was your experience like? What you you said you were Waddle and Sylvie intern?
1: Yes. So, okay, before we get into basketball, I have to just share this story about um, Sylvie's uh, coffee coffee order. So, oh when I, we were interns. It was unpaid and. And I don't want to share this story and have it get misconstrued that like all I was doing was getting coffee. By no means, like I wasn't their errand woman. Right. Like they, they gave me a lot of valuable experience. But one thing I happened to do in the morning was get um their coffee, and I would get myself coffee too. And so there was a Starbucks right across the street. And my first day, while, Or Sylvie goes, um, I'll I'll take a green tea and I can't remember like if you wanted honey in it, whatever. But I get to Starbucks, and they're like hot or iced, And I'm like, Oh, my God, how did like, I didn't even ask him hot or iced. And so I'm sitting there like, so nervous, first of all, to be working with Waddle and Sylvie who are just uh, like, household names in Chicago radio. And I'm like, I can't mess up Sylvie's order on the first day because Then he'll just remember me for messing up his order. So I don't even know what I put together in my head, but I'm like, okay, it's kind of cold this morning. Who drinks tea iced in the morning? Like it just, it wasn't clicking in my head to get it iced. So I got it hot, bring it back, boom, was right. Like he he takes it hot. The next day, the other intern comes in and we were like sharing the shift for some reason. And she's like, She's like so what uh what did you do with Sylvie's order the first day and I'm like oh I got you know like hot green tea and she's like damn it I got it iced and that wasn't right and I'm like oh my god like boom it was just so <laughs> I I don't know the answer but I'm going to go with my gut and my gut was right
0: Oh my god you know um that what well, you mentioned, like you get a lot of valuable experience doing the the internships at radio stations, and I, that was one of my favorite gigs I ever did was interning at One Thousand. I did night times. so my shift was with uh, Jonathan Hood, and I would cut for a lot of games that were going on that night.
2: Uh uh-huh.
0: um, But part of it was going to the Starbucks, you know, right across the street, go under the L track. Right. And um, I, yeah, I used to get. Uh, I think what, what was. Jonathan Hood's order, he would get a venti and I think it was a, I think it was a mocha frap. It was like really like every, every, uh, pretty much every show. And sometimes he'd want McDonald's. He'd be like, I'm a little hungry. I haven't had dinner. Can you run across, go get me like a number two? (laughs) It it
1: just like, like you said, so much valuable experience. And I don't know why, but that story I'll never forget because I just remember thinking this could be Like, in reality, it wouldn't have made or broken my, like, summer internship there. But I'm like, I got to start off on the right foot. I cannot fuck this order up. Excuse my language. (laughs) And I didn't. So, shout out to Waddle and Sylvie. But, yeah, that summer was a great summer. It was, you know, pinnacle Derrick Rose years. It was exciting stuff was happening um, in Chicago Bulls basketball.
0: The the Derrick Rose MVP season for you... You know, Fibs' first year, they they win 62 games, go to the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a fun year. I had the summer before where it was the LeBron chase. Uh-huh. You know, I was there for the Blackhawks winning the Stanley Cup. I cut the game-winning goal, actually, wow. at the in the newsroom. And most of the summer, though, was LeBron watch and, you know, Dwayne Wade watch. I remember I had to work an extra two hours until about midnight because they wanted to keep the discussion going with Jonathan Hood because Dwayne Wade met with the Bulls for a second time. Yeah. Big news, Andy. It was it was a big deal back then.
1: Right. It's funny because that summer I don't even I mean, of course I remember, you know, the greatness of the Bulls basketball in that moment and, and you know, how loved Derek Rose was and obviously still is. But for me, the the most vivid m- memory was our the draft that year and we drafted Jimmy Butler 30th overall. And I just remember coming into work the next day and the talks being about you know analyzing this draft pick. And listen, I went to Iowa, but don't get it confused. I am a diehard Marquette fan. I grew up watching Dwayne Wade. I oh my gosh, Milwaukee and the memories I have watching Marquette basketball. I I, I bleed blue and gold for sure. Um, so when we drafted Jimmy, I was as a fan so excited because yeah, he's a Marquette guy. And also not a lot of people knew how great he was. He was you had so many people knocking this pick. And I don't remember Waddle and Sylvie knocking the pick, but I just remember, you know, again, the discussion about like who is this guy? How is he gonna fit with the system? Like, um, how is he gonna fit with Tibbs? Like all of these things and I remember being like, no, this is a great pick. He's a marketer. Like, we got a good one. And obviously, Jimmy Butler has grown into, you know, a household name and is a star in the league. And so it was cool to, yeah, be starting my career and also simultaneously, like, keep getting drafted to the league. So it was a – that was a cool summer for sure.
0: That's pretty cool. And I guess it's a good segue just into a little bit more about you. So – is What was your first love? Like, what brought you into to sports media? Was it radio? Was it newspapers? Was it television? What was the main, I guess, influence for you into getting into, into sports journalism?
1: Okay, this is a funny story, but it was honestly LeBron James. I huh. was obsessed with LeBron James in high school. And I used to, in high school, we had, that was... Yeah, before like laptops, you had that stationary computer that, you know, Mm -hmm. the entire family used, which obviously that was a blessing even having a computer, like don't want to make it seem like, um, yeah, I'm taking that for granted. But yeah, so we had a computer at the house and I used to spend hours on YouTube watching his high school highlights. And he was obviously already in the league, but I was so obsessed with watching his high school highlights and finding out more about his story. And, you know, obviously he's raised by a single mom and I, too, am raised by a single mom and, you know, very different circumstances. But I was just so infatuated with like the human he was, not even just Mm. the basketball player. And so I would spend all this time, yeah, watching his highlights and, and learning more about who he was off the court and I remember one day my mom just casually, as I'm like, you know, glued to the computer screen, she goes, you know, you could do that one day. And I'm like, do what, play basketball? Like LeBron James, like, hell no. <laughs> um, she's like, no, you could be the person who asks the questions, you could be a journalist. And it, it was like, everything clicked. I was like, from that moment on, I'm like, this is what I'm doing. I want to know more about all of these people i want to share stories that connect people to these people i want to share stories that gives some of our, the most brilliant minds like connects on a human level so um yeah it was definitely lebron james <laughs> and he he's been yeah the most influential person in my career or like wow. the reason i got into this business but as far as what medium I wanted to be involved with at first, it was definitely broadcasting. So mm-hmm. I I had it in my mind, like I was gonna be the next Aaron Andrews. All of my passwords to like different accounts were, were Miss ESPN, like I was- They're not
0: I, anymore, are they? We don't want- no, <laughs> no yeah, part.
1: I wouldn't share that if they still were. Um, But yeah, in college, like I was certain I was gonna, that was where I was going. And I have this conversation a lot with women. And for me, I think I wanted that so much because Erin Andrews was the most visible woman to me. me. I know there are so many other pioneers in in sports reporting and journalism that, that women who've been sharing stories you know beyond broadcasting and writing and books Mm -hmm. all of these different mediums but for me erin andrews was the woman i saw all the time and so Mm. i saw her and thought if i want to be in this business and be successful in this business i gotta look like that i gotta act Mm. like that i gotta do it like that and i'm I don't regret that. I don't regret how my career started, but I am very thankful that somewhere along the way, I found my uniqueness in it. And mm-hmm. that's allowed me to, I think, share better stories, finding what I'm good at.
0: Yeah. And if you can let our listeners know your background, you started once you got out of, of college, you were at Big Ten Network for a little bit, Comcast. Were there other uh, ventures too that you were in that were TV sideline reporting Gigs at that point?
1: Yeah. So when I graduated college, I again was gung ho set on being a broadcast journalist. And I sent my tape out to stations across the country, Alaska, Mm. Hawaii. Like I would have gone anywhere. And the universe was like, nah, girl, this ain't for you. I got mm. told no on every applica- like every job I applied for. I either didn't hear back or I got told no. I didn't even get an interview out of college, and I, mm. I'm not like, this isn't cockiness, but but like I I really did put in the work. Like I felt like I I could have done any job. I, I and yeah. I was applying for producer roles too. So, anyways, I came back to Chicago and. I was freelancing for a bunch of different places the big 10 was one of them and that wasn't in a sideline role it was in a in a runner position which is is yeah you'll help okay. with broadcast and, and and basically do anything to ask pretty much like help in different areas mm. so i would go back to iowa city a lot and and be yeah a, a broadcast runner for them And that was one of my freelance gigs. Another one was working for the Chicago Fire in a marketing position. And the the job with the Chicago Fire is what eventually led to my sideline jobs with Comcast and covering high school sports in sideline positions. So um, yes, when I first graduated college, I was freelancing and some of it included broadcast jobs, but my first jobs were not in broadcasting and the chicago fire i i am a social person so i'm i'm always talking you know to to different people when i'm working and so with the chicago fire i ended up meeting a a man who was doing stats for the chicago fire game and um and his name's nick and Nick was like, oh, you should um, connect with my boss at Comcast. And so he gave me his boss's email. And so I sent his boss my tape, Andy. Andy Zielkowski, shout out. And um, <laughs> that turned into, yeah, me helping on broadcast that eventually turned into me hosting different shows for them that eventually turned into me doing some sideline work for them before I moved to Mississippi.
0: Yeah. So, what made you at at one point have the epiphany or or pivot point? I guess that said, you know, what I I need to do more than just being a, a TV broadcaster or being a sideline reporter. I need to get into some other areas, writing, podcasting. You know, doing a little bit more than than just one role. What what made you change that?
1: Well, in in college, I I learned how to do a lot of different things. I wasn't just reporting, I was also editing all my stuff, I was shooting all my stuff. So I always had that skill set. The one skill set I wasn't honing was my writing ability. I was really? terrified of writing. I thought Really? Yeah, terrified of it. And I thought and this is really really ignorant, but I thought I I genuinely thought I'm a I'm a woman I, as long as I look good on camera, I could get a, I, I can make a career that way.
2: Hmm. And
1: it was a huge insecurity writing was for me. I was like, hmm. I don't belong in that space. So I never worked at it and I just, I, yeah, I wrote that mentality of, I can make a broadcasting career work cause I'm a woman and yeah, as long as I look nice on camera, I can make this happen. And so in all of these sideline or yeah, these freelance positions, freelance broadcasting positions, something in my soul just wasn't fully connecting. Like I, I, I got some pretty big opportunities freelancing in sideline positions and it wasn't anybody who freelances knows it's, it's not always consistent, but I was taking steps, but I always remember I would feel like I wasn't connected to what I was doing, and so I, I started yeah having this feeling like I, I needed to be doing more. I needed to be doing something different, and so I remember I reached out to Red Eye, which was part of the, is part of the Chicago Tribune, and Chris Sosa. Shout out to Chris. Um, he he let me write for them freelance, and that was my first time writing. Uh, like at all, and I don't know if I lied to him, Chris. I don't. I don't even know if he's even gonna listen to this or if this will ever get back to him. I don't know if I emailed him and lied and said I had written before, but I hadn't. And Mm. so, gosh, I wonder if I could find some of those stories. But either way, I started writing, and it it just felt very rewarding. It it was. I, I remember a few stories I worked on. It felt like the interviews I did and and getting to yeah connect with these people these athletes coaches and then write a story it felt like everything I talked about in the beginning of when I was watching LeBron like wanting to hear more and then share a story that brings a little humanity to the story um mm-hmm. so anyways that was my first writing gig and I yeah I I I wasn't great at it but I I connected to it and I was still freelancing, and everybody who freelances knows it's a very emotional roller coaster. You have great days followed by like weeks of you know without work, or you're juggling multiple jobs. And I was in a slump. I was trying to yeah find find gigs, and I went to uh, I went to Florida to stay mm-hmm. with my aunt and i remember on that trip i was like this is the end of the road for me like i am going to send my resume out to every job i can find and if i don't hear back if i don't like if this doesn't happen then i i'm going to take that as the universe's sign that i'm not meant to be in this business and so i applied to local tv jobs i applied to local writing jobs, I applied to producing jobs, I applied to every job, like I said, I could find. Mm-hmm. And on at the airport, on the way back to Chicago, uh, before getting on the flight, I got an email from my editor at the Clarion Ledger in Mississippi, Hugh Kellenberger. And he said, hi, Annie, we got your resume. I'd love to talk to you more about an open position we have here. And I got on the flight oh. and it was like everything since then has been God's timing.
0: How, how scary was that though? Cause you know, you Chicago kid and, and the opportunity to go to Jackson, Mississippi and, and you're at, that was a gig doing high school and like uh, high school recruiting, correct?
1: Yeah. I was the high school preps and recruiting editor. So, and Hugh hired me because I, 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 can, I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I'm pretty certain he hired me because of my video background and the fact that I did have, I was multimedia. I could write, I could shoot, I could edit, I could, you know, shoot photos. I could do anything they needed me to do. And I think in that role, he wanted someone who wasn't just a writer.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, yeah, when he hired me, I was thrilled because, again, it felt like the universe was telling me I was. I was on the right track not to give up but when I when he actually offered me the job like when I actually got the job it was like pure terror took Mm -hmm. over my body like I think I got hired in at the end of January beginning of February and I had like three weeks to move out there so i didn't have any time to second guess it but my body went into like shock Mm. because i just was so nervous about failing i was so nervous about moving to a state and a city where i knew not a soul like no one um i'd never been before i was nervous about everything you could be nervous about and i remember the week i was packing up my studio apartment my, my body. I I made myself sick. I was like, I was so nervous. Um, and I I yeah, I ended up getting really sick before I had to leave, and it ended up again just being like anxiety. It wasn't you know like I, I was deathly ill or anything. Yeah. But when I got there and started working, it just it just worked. It was like, like, like nature. Yeah, it was like nonstop from the moment I got there and i just am so thankful i can't even express to you how thankful i am for mississippi and the people i met there the paper i worked for the the colleagues i had there mississippi changed my whole life my whole Mm -hmm. life and i i yeah so i guess yeah my advice for anybody is is to take that leap it yeah. might be terrifying, whatever it is, but take that leap. Move to Mississippi.
2: <laughs> That's okay.
0: If anybody wants to take one final thought from this, it's just move to Mississippi.
1: There whatever we you go. do,
0: no matter what, just move to no Mississippi. Matter,
1: no matter what the question is, the answer is move to Mississippi.
0: Alabama, no. Louisiana, no. fuck nope. off. Mississippi. Mississippi,
1: hell Yeah. Yeah, Mississippi. I love you Mississippi. I love everybody that I met from Mississippi. I love all the people that came into my life from Mississippi. It changed my life. What
0: what was the biggest culture shock in Mississippi? You know, somebody coming from again Chicago area, what was probably like the the moment where you're like, "Wow, this is this is different."
1: Um let me I want to be very like honest with this answer. So let me think. I think it was a combination of a lot of things. It was the, the country lifestyle in a lot of areas. You know, you drive through Mississippi and it's nothing but, but fields. And, and obviously there's rural parts of Illinois, but I, I haven't spent much of my time in rural parts of Illinois. Um, so. But yeah, the, the countryness of it, which, which I love the country. And I, I don't mean that in a, in a negative way or derogatory way, but it, it was, it was, yeah, it was shocking to me to be in a big, a quote unquote, big city, which Jackson is, you know, the capital, but then you drive 10 minutes out of Jackson and, and you're, and you're, you know, in a, in a cornfield or in a field. And, um, so that was shocking the religion down there was was shocking too you'd be driving and and out of nowhere a a, you know 20 foot cross is in the middle of some random field and you're like why is who put that up you know like why why is uh you know this religious choice being pushed on people driving down some random highway which Mm -hmm. again you know, I have my faith, but I don't push my faith on other people. Um, and then, you know, there, yeah, it, it was just, uh, yeah, it was just shocking to be in a place with the, uh, with the history that it has in terms of race and, slavery and division and trauma and and see places that still carry the heavy heavy effects of our country's very recent past Mm -hmm. and you know you'd meet people that you could have beautiful conversations with and then you meet people who you see still carry that that negative disgusting mentality Mm -hmm. and i'm not someone who um who who was afraid to to speak up to stand up to talk you know to say whatever needed to be said and yeah you just it that was a little shocking to me too at times seeing people operate in a way that i i wasn't accustomed to seeing in chicago and that's not to say that chicago isn't a divisive place um isn't a very segregated place chicago is one of the most segregated cities in in our country but chicago hides it and that's an issue too don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. Um, but there were times i yeah i'd be in mississippi and it wasn't a hidden thing like the confederate flag people hanging that on their car like that is wrong get that out of here mm-hmm. but people people thought that was honoring our country's history it's like that's not honoring anything but bigotry hatred division and evil
0: yeah um, i think that it's like the statue debate like the the whole thing exactly. about confederate statues where it's, it's like crazy. well it's our history yeah but it, mm, not really that's not something you want to be proud of and and herald but you know with with that though what was probably one of your what was the best thing you learned while you were down there whether it's you know personally or or writing wise that you learned down at in, in Mississippi
1: it was without a doubt people's the courage i saw from people that i met on a day-to-day basis whether it was the athletes that i was interviewing or um one specific story i worked on was when uh, 45 Trump came to town and, uh, it was the opening of the, the, uh, civil rights museum, uh, Mm. in, in Jackson and anybody who's passing through Jackson, I highly, highly recommend going to this museum, educating yourself and and seeing, see, going to this museum, Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: I don't even remember the the logistics of it, but Trump somehow got invited to speak, and obviously that wasn't supported by a lot of people, and so there were there were um, there were I I don't like to use the word protest, but I'm struggling to find the correct word, but there were there were people who who weren't weren't in support of that and so the day that trump came to town people got together and yeah we're protesting him being being a speaker and there weren't a lot of people it was maybe like it was less than 100 but i'll round up to 100 it was close to 100 people and it was on one of the busiest streets in jackson and people came out to voice their opinion to speak up to you know carry signs that also showed uh, the fight to to remove the Confederate flag as part of the Mississippi state flag and mm-hmm. to me that it was so beautiful to see people come together like that and I was so impressed by the courage because when when we stand up for something in Chicago we're surrounded by thousands of people who yeah. have our back and support us and and there's power in that but when you're standing up for something like getting rid of the confederate flag as part of the state flag it you might end up being one of a hundred instead of one of you know a thousand or more than a thousand and so you're you're it's a little scarier when you're when you're one of so few and it takes more courage to be one of a few than it does to be one of many thousand when your voice could blend in. Because when you're one of a hundred, you're, you're visible, you know, the people driving by that were shouting things out their window, they're looking right at you. They could see you. Yeah. Your neighbor who maybe doesn't agree with you, who's driving by could see, oh, that was Joe from down the street holding a sign that he wants the Confederate flag removed. Well, I'm not going to fuck with Joe now. You know, it's like. Mm -hmm. you just that that took courage to me so to answer your question i think that was the courage that i saw from so many people and not even just in terms of politics just you know young boys and girls with dreams to you know play professional football or coach professional basketball and 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 you know make their state proud it it was for sure the courage that I saw from all over that was the biggest joy for me while I was down there.
0: So you spend roughly a year there before you you come back to Chicago and you get an opportunity with the Sun Time. So how did that all unfold for you?
1: So I, yeah, I was only there a year, which I think that might be one of a, a regret if I have any, is that I didn't, I didn't stay another year or I didn't, um, you know, see what could happen if I stayed another year. But it was just hard to turn down my dream job. Like, I was a little girl and used to look at the Sun-Times and say, I'm going to work there one day. And so anyways, it was maybe December um, uh, before I got offered the job in February. And I was back in Chicago. and. I reached out to a friend at the Sun Times just seeing how things were going like you know seeing what the job market was like. I wasn't I wasn't trying to leave my job at the Clearing Ledger but I'm someone who's always talking, asking, thinking mm-hmm. about what the next step is. That's just how my mind works. So anyways, she was like, "Oh, they're actually hiring multimedia positions. You'd be great for." And she connected me with her boss. And so I emailed her boss and I said, Hey, I'm going to be back in town over like Christmas break. Is there any chance I could come in and we could have, we could talk. And she's like, yeah, I would, you know, I would love that. Come on in. Um, So it was, it wasn't even an interview. It was very informal. I come in, we talk. um, And she says, you know, I'll be in touch. uh, If we, yeah, when, when we start hiring for these jobs. So Anyways, I stayed in touch and ended up like officially applying and ended up officially interviewing and ended up officially getting the job. And it was all, yeah, from December to February. So it was like a two month span. It was again, the same kind of span when I went to Florida and, and found out, you know, in a month that I was moving to Mississippi, it was like, I, I didn't plan it, but it just, it just happened. And it was The universe's timing that brought me back to Chicago.
0: So now you're you're covering the the Red Stars, Mm -hmm. and you also have a podcast. It's the the Equal Play podcast. Can you talk a little just a bit about that for our listeners?
1: Yes, definitely. So when I got to the Sun Times, um, I had all these things like I wanted to do, and and right away, and I was like, oh my god, I'm going to do this and this and this and this, and the reality is like you don't come into somewhere like the sun times and just get a podcast you don't come into somewhere like the sun times and just get a beat like obviously people are hired and beat roles but other people like you you get hired and your your role kind of transitions as you earn your stripes and that's for sure been my journey with the sun times you know i i got hired and and worked and worked and worked and and earned my stripes and my role has has kind of molded as I've molded and that sounds terrible like I'm getting moldy or something but um,
0: makes sense yeah yeah. (laughs) like 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 play-doh mold yeah like like play-doh yeah
1: Yeah, exactly so yeah when I got hired by the sun times I remember saying I want to do a podcast I, I think it would be so great to talk about women's sports and and this and that. And I was talking about it with my friends and, and they were like, you got to do it. You got to do it. Like, just bring it to your boss. And, and again, I had to earn my stripes. So um, I, the podcast ended up taking a, a couple years or a few years to come to fruition. But this year when the pandemic hit and everyone's roles changed a lot, and we saw sports obviously change a lot. I, I just said, it's let's do it. It's, it's now or never. Let me you know, I I really want to do this podcast and I have the time to do it. Obviously the sports landscape has changed a ton. I want to be doing the most with my time that I'm on the clock with the sun times. I have the time to, to produce, edit and record this podcast. What do you guys think? Well, you know they were in support of it and so equal play was born and i do have to give a shout out to my girl waverly mccarthy from mississippi who helped me come up with the name equal play uh so shout out to waverly for helping me with the name and it's been a true privilege to share these episodes and these stories from women who have led and will continue to lead in sports it's been truly a privilege to hear their stories and be able to share some insight and their perspective because man, it's their insight is so valuable. And that is the story of Equal Play.
0: Hmm. Well, it's fascinating because you are you're a writer, podcaster, you said you have the video element to to your job too. And it kind of goes back to what I, I brought up right when we Jumped into our discussion was, uh, you know, I, you went to Iowa roughly around the same time I would have been at DePaul getting getting my journalism degree. And the big term back then was the backpack journalist. It was the mm-hmm. journalist that carried the laptop, had the notepad, had at that time a recorder because smartphones didn't catch up at that point
2: point, right? Um,
0: and had their own maybe like little camera with them. So it was right. able to, to tackle everything at once. Uh, and you're kind of living that out, that vision of what, back in the, the early 2010s, what they were telling us, this is what journalists are going to be. You've kind of lived that out. You're doing that.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's that's very interesting. And I guess in a lot of ways I am, but I didn't set out to do it this way. I set out to be the next Aaron Andrews. And it was through all the times I got knocked down that I was like, it was I wasn't being knocked down I was being redirected to what the what i what was truly my skill set what truly made me different and and what makes me in my humble opinion a uh, a good journalist is is the fact that I can share a story in all of these different ways and and yeah i when I was in college I wasn't told. To, to diversify my skill set. I wasn't told to do all these things. I was in fact told, you need to hone your skill. You need to hone one skill set. I remember reaching out to, to people in the business all the time and they said, you need to be really good at one thing. And I, I never felt really good at one thing. I felt like I liked everything. So that was really, I didn't like hearing that. And I'm glad I didn't listen to that because mm. And now I do get to spend one day writing, you know, in a thousand word feature, or the next day I'm recording a podcast. The next day I'm spending the entire day with Patrick Beverly when he's back in town for the all-star game. It's like, I get to do all these different things and ultimately, yeah, satisfy that dream that was born all those years ago when I was obsessing over LeBron James and that it was just sharing a meaningful story. And I, I know how to share a meaningful story in a bunch of different ways. And that's been the ultimate uh, reward for me. And, and truly like makes me feel like I'm living a dream is, is yeah, getting, getting to put my hand in all these different pots.
0: Do you think um, this is where the industry's heading? You know, it, it, it seems like there's going to be more emphasis to having reporters really be content creators. So being able to be as versatile as possible. Do you see that going in that direction? And how, how challenging can that be with, especially in the place like the newspaper business, that's a little trickier to execute some of that.
1: Yeah. You know, I had this conversation actually with a friend of mine in the business, Arielle Chambers. She works for Bleacher Report. She's brilliant. Mm And she came on the podcast and I asked her about this, too, because in her role, uh, it isn't traditional journalism. It isn't journalism in the traditional sense. Like Bleacher Report is an incredible platform, an incredible outlet that, yeah, creates a lot of content, but isn't necessarily covering teams from a beat standpoint. Um, they have in the past, and I know they have a lot of great writers who who share, yeah, game stories and and cover teams and, and all of that good stuff. But yeah, to me, Bleacher Report is, is a great example of everything you're saying, like where the industry's headed, and that reporters are content creators. They're also they're also connecting with players in a different way. They're they're friends with players, they're they're Peers, they're they're um, you know here to to help the athlete, coach, whoever share their story and not maybe control that story in the same way that a traditional journalist is. Yeah, breaking news and and sharing a story um, from their perspective. And so I do think that that there is success in that, but I do also believe. That there will always be the need for traditional journalists, for unbiased uh, perspective, for beat reporters who who yeah are are there to share mm-hmm. whatever the story is of the day, and not necessarily uh do that from a content standpoint. Yeah. If that makes sense.
0: No, it, it does, and. I- I think, the it's interesting because we are starting to see like a blend of, of some of this. Like at NBC Sports Chicago, we've seen them pick up Casey Johnson, who's a respected beat writer for the Chicago Bulls. And now he's being blended into this world of joining the podcast fray with Bulls Talk. And he's he's doing more video content. Uh, they're doing it with Gordon Whitmire, former Sun-Times scribe.
2: Gordon. Um,
0: and it's so, it's so cool to see like Gordon kind of meld into this this multifaceted.
1: Gordon is you know, funny, man. Gordon has tops. Like Gordon is not Gordon's old school, but he is like, he can oh. hang with all of this media content creating crew. Like he could totally hang.
0: He's podcasting gold. Oh. I mean, you that's because you want personality to come out in a podcast. You want mm-hmm. you know the ability to carry on a conversation, shoot the shit, tell jokes, which I think, gordo's hitting perfectly but i i feel like there's going to be more need for that as we start to get into this because contents now as tony go talked about in the first episode it's more on demand so there is like a a branding component to this where some of these reporters that you know in the old school were taught you don't want to brand yourself it's about being unbiased and covering the story and and breaking news you have to be able to do a little bit of that i think
1: yeah, I, I do think you you have to be able to do a little bit of that, and I also think there's been a lot of discussion about this this idea of of being an un always being unbiased, and that makes you a good journalist. And for sure, when you're sharing a story, especially when it comes to a news story, it's very important not to insert your opinion. But there's also this this conversation taking place about the control that the industry has had in sending this message that you have to be unbiased, especially in regard to topics that are at the forefront right now of, um, you know, equality, equity, justice for all, the end of systemic racism. And, and you know, it's my belief that, that wrong is wrong, right is right. And it doesn't make me a bad journalist to vocalize the truth and mm-hmm. and the support for Black Lives Matter, the support for the end of systemic racism. Like, And so I know this is a sports podcast and I'm a sports journalist, but I think that carries into sports as well in that, yes, if you're a beat reporter and, and you're covering a team in, in that way, yeah, nobody wants to read Annie Costable's breakdown of, of the Chicago White Sox and why I think they're the greatest ever because my fan, like, I grew up watching the Sox and I love them to death. It's like, that's not, you're not being a journalist then. But there's mm-hmm. also space to share, um, yeah, to share content that, that, like you said, maybe is, is more branded. Um, mm-hmm. You could do both, I, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. You could definitely do both.
0: And I, I think it, it, it's going to be incumbent upon a lot of other journalists to, I think, take up that mantle a little bit, because I think people are a little smarter now where they can decipher, okay, like you brought up a great example with, you know, issues with systemic racism. Like sometimes you just got to be genuine and call it like you see it, you know, right. in, in those cases, you know, even if you're a reporter, just got to call it like you see it. And, you know, if that's what you believe and you want to add that wrinkle to the story, I think it's Okay
1: also it it might not even just be in a story like you I, i'm not saying insert your opinion into like for example yeah. this summer uh, covering um protests and and people yeah fighting for change um i'm not going to write a story that is driven by my opinion i'm going to write what i see i'm going to you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: share what i see um factually what i see but where where that control over your opinion comes in is is like now we all have these platforms of our our twitter our instagram are right. we we don't have to again this is just my opinion but your store your work is one thing and your voice is an, is another and i don't believe that we should be controlled by this idea that you have to be unbiased Twenty-four-seven, uh, or yeah, twenty-four-seven. If again, mm-hmm. wrong is wrong, right is right, and I don't, I don't think that that makes someone a bad journalist, and that's across the board, you know, in in right. sports too, um, mm-hmm. like we were saying. So again, I'm not saying insert it into a story, but right. vocalizing your opinion and branding your content. Is something that is just inevitable, or it's it's happening because we all have we all have a brand because we're all right. on Twitter, we're all on Instagram, we're all on these social media platforms. Whether you want to admit it or not, what you're saying through your through your personal accounts is creating a brand for yourself.
0: That's true, and this kind of segues into another question that I had for you. Traditional article writing, it's Tapering off a bit, and we're even seeing some of the big name reporters like Adrian Wojnarowski, Adam Schefter—they're not really writing articles that much anymore. They're breaking news on Twitter all the time, right? And social media has become that platform where you go to to check for breaking news. It's where reporters go to break news, and it it kind of, I guess, blends in with some of that too. You know, you can combine your personal element with reporting. And I I hate to ask yes or no questions because it it doesn't really drive conversation, but I just, I'm, I got to ask this one. Do you think that traditional article writing is going to go by the wayside? And and most of the way we get our reporting comes from platforms like Twitter and social media. Is that going to be the main driving force?
1: I certainly hope not. And I, I, maybe this is me being naive, but I don't think so because I think people are always going to want to know more than 240 characters. They're always going to want, sure, maybe that's what pulls them in. But it's like, after you read those 240 characters, it goes back to again, like the beginning of what I was doing with LeBron James, like, you're always going to want to know more. So breaking news might be funneled, yeah, to Twitter and, and all of that. But I think that the need for storytelling is always going to be there and you're never going to be able to tell a story in 240 characters or, you know, just staring at whatever you can consume on your phone screen or, you know, there, and, and and that might be me, me being naive and, and not seeing where the future is taking us, but, or where, yeah, where the, the future is headed Um, but I just, I think there'll always be a need for a deep dive.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and you know, I, I know you're with the sun times, but like, you know, the athletic that's, um, that's a place that I think does kind of what you're saying have, they have a lot of great reporters that are always breaking news, but they've been able to hook subscribers in because they're going to offer you a 2,500 word breakdown of, everything that led to what just broke. They're giving you so much more detail. And yeah. I think that's how they've gotten people really engaged on
1: that platform. Definitely. And that's all digital. You know, the future might not be in print hard copy. And I know that's really heartbreaking for a lot of traditional journalists. That's, that's an impossible thought. And it's a sad thought. But what we need to remember is that storytelling will never go away like journalists are public servants and this is another reason why i transitioned or had the desire to transition from broadcasting to to uh you know what i'm doing now multimedia it's the job of a journalist is to inform the public and that is not something that will ever go away it'll Mm -hmm. always necessary it'll always be necessary and the way that those stories get shared might change but storytellers will always 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 be necessary
0: and that's actually a really great point because i'm focusing mainly on the hard news aspect but you know a lot of what you've done and what brought you into to the industry is the storytelling component you know the more the soft news component so that's it's always going to need a place to live and yeah sometimes seeing it in the written word, even it's always fascinating, you know? Yeah. I
1: remember my first, my first story in print. I have it here in my apartment. It was, um, a story. Yeah. From the Clarion ledger. And it was such a joy to see it in print. It was beautiful. And some journalists spend their entire careers and they never, yeah, have anything published in print. And I'm so thankful. I do. I have a, a Chicago sun times copy framed from 1993, when the the Chicago Bulls uh, completed the three P, it's like print is so so special. Even for me, I, like I don't I don't want to see the print paper go away. But I, I'm also not going to be unrealistic in the idea that I, I'm certain it won't. It mm-hmm. it could, but storytelling and yeah, breaking news and uncovering news is always going to be a critical component to the success Mm -hmm. of, of, you know, human beings.
0: So uh, as we, as we wrap up our discussion kind of comes full circle to how we started this talking about radio and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're doing a podcast and the podcasts are great because it gives more, I think voices and opportunity, right? We have more people of color that can do podcasts. We have women that can do podcasts. Sports radio is a really, Strange and slow-moving medium of all mm. the sports mediums, I feel like it's the one that's stuck in like 1995.
1: I know, um, I know, I hate and
0: it. It's really because of of short-term focus. It's this focus on pleasing the white male demographic that's like 25 to 49. I think is the sweet spot or 25 to 54. Mm. Um, and it it it's made. It very slow to get moving. We finally have, in, in Layla Rahimi, a female voice on the radio, full time. Um, we have two African-American hosts, Jonathan Hood, which makes me really happy because interned for him at night. Seeing him now, morning drive on ESPN 1000 is awesome. Lawrence Holmes, midday on the score. But it's still not enough. It doesn't really represent the full voices in Chicago.
1: Yeah, you just named three people. Now imagine... Exactly. Imagine the number of journalists we all know, and you named three diverse voices.
0: So how long do you think it's going to take for the sports radio industry to catch up? And if they don't catch up, could they end up falling by the wayside at some point?
1: I don't think sports radio is ever going to fall by the wayside. I I think sports radio is a really popular medium. mm mm-hmm. In terms of how long it's going to take, man, we're coming. Like there is no time left to wait. So these outlets, and and I love ESPN One Thousand. Like I love the men that I worked for. I felt included. Mm-hmm. I felt respected, and I felt valued. But they need to do a better job, and they need to do a better job now. Period. Period. And to that point too uh, chicago needs to do a better job sharing and covering the women's sports teams in this town because the women's sports teams are the most successful sports teams in chicago right now the chicago sky and um the chicago red stars and that's not Mm -hmm. biased that's true i mean sure the socks are on on the come up right now and there's a lot to be excited for on the south side but we know what's going on (laughs) with these other teams. And it's that they're consistently average. The red stars aren't consistently average. The red stars have potentially six Olympians on their team. That's not consistently average. That's consistently great. Mm -hmm. The Chicago sky just, you know, signed Candace Parker. She is a face of the WNBA. What are we going to do about that?
0: Well, and that's actually, I wanted to follow up with that because I had this discussion on on my rebuildable podcast with uh, with Katie Duffy. She's with NBC Sports Chicago, and we were talking about we we dedicated some time to talk about the sky. And one of the things that I wonder with the acquisition of Candace Parker because really they were on the up before Candace Parker got here. I mean, they had a pretty good team going into the you know into the academy last summer. Right, you know, if Diamond the Shields doesn't get hurt. I mean, they
1: yeah, it could have been different. Could have
0: been, Right. They could have been shooting for a championship with Candace Parker coming on. Do you think that could help drum up some more interest And in potentially if we get some people vaccinated, we get lower capacity opportunities to go to the stadiums? Do you think it could help a little bit increasing the the branding or at least increasing the the awareness of the Chicago sky?
1: I think if Candace Parker doesn't do it for you, it's not the sky's problem, it's not the league's problem, it's yeah. your problem. You're not acknowledging greatness. Like if mm-hmm. Candace Parker doesn't get you excited to watch a team, then you're the issue, bro. Like not mm. not the sport or the league yeah. or the team. So to answer your question in a more respectful way, yes, I do believe Candace Parker will will drive, you know, interest, but I also think the more important fact is, the more important thing to, to consider and, and stand by and honor is that it is my belief, and I think a lot of other people's belief, it's not the player's job to get you excited or like, and bear with me to explain this, but like, mm-hmm. Candace Parker is elite. She busts her butt to be good at what she does. That's all she has to do. It's all of our job to give her the respect. And, and when I say her, I also mean the entire league and all of her teammates, all of the coaches that put work in to be great at what they do. And it's all of our job to give it the, the adequate respect in covering it the same exact way we cover men's sports teams and then seeing it grow as a response to that. You know, mm-hmm. Candace Parker coming to Chicago, sure, will drive interest. But what is Chicago media going to do to fairly, equally cover the greatness that Candace brings every day? That's mm-hmm. what we need to be asking ourselves is not, oh, Candace is here. She's magically going to change women's basketball in Chicago. Candace has been changing women's basketball. Why are we not acknowledging it? Mm-hmm. And it's even and- the Red Stars. like. Six Olympians, potentially six Olympians. Alyssa Nair, the number one goalkeeper in the world, in the world. Hope Solo's like came in, followed Hope Solo and is a totally different player. But again, that great. And with that is Julie Ertz, Tiana Davidson, Morgan Bryan, Casey Short, like phenomenal athletes. And mm-hmm. it's not it's, it's up to us to to give them that respect, acknowledge their greatness, cover it appropriately and then see these sports grow because of it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that was one of the, the downsides when, you know, the score had their their layoffs uh, right around the beginning of the pandemic. You know, you lost Julie DeCaro, you lost right. Maggie Hendricks and you lost a lot of coverage of that you right. know like though i think they were the show that was consistently at least bringing it to to sports radio talking about the sky talking about you know red stars you know i it, they're i think they're what you were saying about 1002 i look at their lineup there's opportunities to fit something in you right. know and it, it it is confusing like why can't they dedicate i mean even if it's an hour you know to talk about some of that it's I think it's one of the things that does have to kind of move. How how fast could it could it happen in your opinion? Do you think it just has to take like one breakthrough?
1: I think it's going to take a bunch of people who are not going to take no for an answer. Like they don't even just got to be women. Like I'm so proud of what my colleague Madeline Kenny is doing covering the Chicago sky. I'm so damn proud to be her co- her colleague. And I'm proud that i get to publish or i get to write a weekly story on the red stars you know there's no other news outlet that's covering the red stars like we're covering the red stars still not enough let me really be clear on that it still is not equal and so i think it's going to take a whole slew of people that are not going to take no for an answer that are going to fight for equal fair coverage and they're and, and editors that are gonna agree to that and producers that are gonna agree to that and station managers that are are gonna support that. It's gonna take, again, a lot of people that will not take no for an answer and then a lot of people in managerial roles that are going to support it. Because the idea that we're waiting for, for fans to come and then we'll cover it how it deserves, what are we saying? Like mm-hmm. fans, aren't going to show up before a product is out. you got to build that. you got to show them what you're doing. Get them excited, you know? And so how quickly that'll take? I don't know the answer to that, but I know what it will take. And it's going to take a lot of people that will not take no for an answer. And I do think there are a lot of people in Chicago right now that are not willing to take no for an answer.
0: I'm a big fan of Madeline Kenny because she was in, I think Nebraska, and she called in through through my Uber conference line to talk about the the sky. I was like, I want to talk about the sky before the bubble. And she's like, Can I like call you at two o'clock? I'm like, Okay. So I hopped out of work early, and and she called from like a landline, and we made it work. So yeah, big, Matthew, big I'm,
1: I'm so thankful to have like th- that friend and colleague. Um, to work with and, and, you know, to, to support each other. It's, it's definitely great to work with another woman and another like incredibly talented journalist. She is so good. She is so good. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I love Maddie and love everything that she does. And I love working with her too. And, and, you know, you mentioned Maggie and Julie and gosh, are those women like Bosses, those are I, me and Maddie talk about all the time. I'm like, I want to be like Julie and Maggie. Like, Mm -hmm. they're just they're so good, and they those are two great examples of women who've done so much to change things, so that reporters like Maddie and I can come in and be like, we want to write about the sky, we want to write about the red stars, and and know that it we could do it.
0: I really appreciate you coming on, Annie, and where can people find the podcast find you on twitter give give us all the handles and all the details
1: yeah so my handle is just annie costable and that's on twitter and you know all, all the other social platforms instagram all that good stuff i don't know um you know how much news is being posted to instagram but feel free to follow me there and as far as the podcast goes, you can get it anywhere that you listen to your podcast—Apple um, Podcast, Spotify—and um, it's called Equal Play. So search it, listen to it, subscribe. Please rate the podcast. Uh, I'm so thankful for everyone that's already listened and subscribed and downloaded our show. It's it's slowly growing, and you know, even if even if no one listens to it ever again. I'd still want to do it because these stories matter and these women's voices matter and people need to hear their their experiences because we can learn from them. That is the point we can learn where there is a whole untapped resource because someone once said like women don't matter. It's like we're missing out on so much value and so so many life lessons because you're not even asking the questions equal play you can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. and I would love if everyone uh, liked commented and subscribed
0: I encourage all my listeners to do the same Annie you know what if you can I'd love to have you on rebuildable we can talk about the Bulls, and I do dedicate some time also to the Chicago sky so let's talk whenever you got I the chance to. all right cool thank you so much for joining me
1: yeah of course thank you for having me it was a great conversation
0: Thank you for listening to Media Matters, a series by The Rebuildable Podcast. For more episodes, please subscribe to The Rebuildable Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.